listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. But look, if my uh, if you hear my uh, stomach growling during this uh, podcast, uh, I'll apologize in advance. We we set a recording time that's right around lunch, and I did not plan in advance. <laughs> so like we should have brought I, snacks. I, I, yeah, I feel yeah. well that. But then you'd hear snacks. Yeah, no, we need quiet snacks. Yeah, fruit roll-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, things like uh, that. Uh, <clears throat> that's, what is that? Is, is that even real? Like what? What? No, no, we know fruit roll-ups are not real, but well, that has real. to be like the most simulated of simulated foods. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's right I up there. I haven't had one since I was in junior it's high. It's like right so. up there with a Pop-Tart or something. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs> but it's good to be chatting, and I'm uh, I'm excited for today's conversation. It's uh, a return guest to the Cooler Ring. Um, yeah. Uh, friend, same, of, friend of the Cooler Partners Agency. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Same guest, new book. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's kick it off. Yeah, and and certainly our guest, uh, you know, author of I believe three books, uh, perhaps more that more to come, most likely. <laughs> and uh, Sangram Vajray is the co-founder of Terminus, and as I say, the author of numerous books, including Move, the four-question go-to-market framework, the latest book, recently a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Welcome to the Coolering Sangram. Good to have you back. Hey, thank you, guys. It's exciting to be. When you say second time guest, that's like, oh my God, I'd, uh, you know, where should I send my check? Because that's like, that's quite, quite an honor. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was better than three books. Yeah, no, and, uh, <laughs> and, and and I'm happy to provide some financial transfer information after this. Exactly. It is, it's really is wonderful to have you on the show, and and thank you for the advanced copy uh, copies of the book. Uh, it was uh, great to dive in and kind of understand more about um, your, your latest thinking in terms of the the move framework. And the, you know, I, I guess I, normally we would have folks um, introduce themselves and their company. I feel like introducing terminus to marketers is getting to be um well something that maybe doesn't need to happen that much but look let's do it like uh let's introduce terminus for those who may not know what it is and then we can dive from in, in from there yeah my sales people think i'm such a horrible salesperson because i hardly talk about terminus like even from the day we started and i think there are 400 terminators as we call ourselves who sell the product so i feel uh i don't need to do that so i'm rusty at it but ultimately um, we started in 2015 uh, with this whole idea of flipping the funnel. And the idea was, look, less than 1% of the leads turn into customers. There got to be a better way. And we started on this bandwagon of account-based marketing. Uh, account-based marketing is not certainly a term that we invented. It was there for a while. So we don't take any credit for the term. But we do take uh, shamelessly credit for evangelizing the term and making it uh, more widely known through the works that we did with the flip my funnel podcast the flip my funnel events and all all the books and everything that we have done i think we, we, we tried to really make it mainstream um, over the years um, so now seven years into it can't believe it because my daughter was uh, literally four weeks when uh, we started terminus so she's seven years this month uh and halloween so it's been seven years building the company terminus uh we are about 400 people in um, you know, thousand plus customers uh, building an account-based marketing platform that now not only does advertising, which is where we started account-based advertising, but now has chat, 
um, account based analytics, account based data. We just acquired another company on that uh, two weeks ago. And then account based um, Sixter was another company we acquired. So email signatures and email part of it. But ultimately, what we want to do and help our customers do is to be able to target better, uh, engage with their target accounts better. And then as a result of that, have better results. And that's what we do. I don't know how is that for a pitch, but that's it. <laughs> I, think, I think that nails it. And I mean, I have Carmen won't be able to relate to this, but I'll have to take the proud dad moment. But I started this company when my daughter was seven days old and she's now turning 18 in two months. So, oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a long route. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little grayer for it. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's, Carmen's uh, had to listen to my stories about my kids. Yeah, I have. I have no point of reference on this. Like I can't. Uh, <laughs> So, I, I don't know, half of things I do in my life is about not remembering things. Not, <laughs> yeah, and certainly not trying to leave children behind. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. clears throat> but nevertheless, look, uh, Sangam, it, um, uh, this uh, latest book is uh, really a, a continuation of that, uh, that flip the funnel journey, as you mentioned, and, um, and really dives into this, um, this notion of go to market. So look, I mean, uh, let's start with uh, some of your own questions from your book. What is go-to-market and, and why is it so hard? Yeah. You know, when we started this book, it is based on a similar premise. Uh, just like at ABM, less than 1% of the leads turning to customer was, was the thing that we latched on and still on our website, still what we talk to our customers. Don't be lead crazy, be, uh, be customer crazy is what we tell them. Um, and, and I think... If you, if anybody listening to this, when you are, if you're not driving, uh, then you should, you could literally go and search uh, called SaaS Valley of Death or Business Valley of Death. Um, what you would see is articles after articles of companies dying after they hit 10 million or so in revenue. So it's literally saying, well, starting a business is hard. Uh, starting a manufacturing business is really hard because you're really talking about labor and time and material and all that type of real, real sense. Um, and getting to a million in revenue is hard. Uh, it's like less than 1% of the companies even get to that number. But then it was really interesting and eye-opening for us in the research of the book that 0.4% of the companies hit 10 million, just 0.4. Like of all of the 1% of companies who get to be a million, only 0.4 survived to get to see 10 million. And what's crazy that it's 0.04 who actually make it over 10 million and get over 50 million in revenue. So the numbers just go down and down. That's why it's called the valley of death for companies who actually grow, they go there to die. And it's it's unacceptable. The, the, and, and the reason McKinsey had this study uh, and Sasser and all of these companies did studies, like regardless of the industry, the reason a lot of these companies die is not because their vision all of a sudden becomes outdated. They don't know what they're doing and where they're going. It, actually, the vision becomes more real to them. It's not because you can't hire people, although people can say right now is the hardest time to hire great talent uh, because of how many people are looking uh, for great jobs and opportunities and it's clearly an employee market. It's not any of those reasons. It's actually because their study sites and these articles will talk more detail into it is that they don't have or they don't evolve their go-to-market. So companies evolve their products, they evolve their strategy, they evolve their the ability to do things, but not the go-to-market. And they over and over, they have studies of hundreds of thousands of companies across industries, and one common denominator is go-to-market. And to your question, how do you define it? I think uh, one of the people we interviewed was Brian Halligan, 
the ex-CEO of HubSpot. I think we all know the company and, and what they have done. You know, he was the CEO until last year uh, and now he's the chairman right now. It's a public company, over 100,000 customers, right? And and one of the people we interviewed was him and Brian. I said, Brian, you know, how do you define go-to-market? And he gave me the best definition. There's a more fuller definition in the book, but I think this is good for the podcast. This is a podcast definition, if you will, which is he said, Sangra, to me as a CEO, go-to-market is like a product. And we put that in the quote as a quote in the back of the book. He said, go to market is like a product. It's an iterative process. It's not a strategy that you go with a bunch of your leaders and buddies uh, over the weekend on a on an offsite and come up. No, no, that's your vision casting. That's building your team. That's about goal setting. That's what that all that is. Your go to market really is about figuring out how to change and make decisions. Like, should I hire a salesperson or should I go acquire another company? Should I put money in the in the marketing? A bucket or should I actually hire people on the engineering team to make our product better? So all these are decisions that a CEO needs to make around go to market. And it's one of the most unsexy part of his job because people look for vision casting. People look for great talent, but go to market is what CEOs own. And it's one of the hardest thing to do, but it's an iterative, it literally not just yearly or quarterly, it's literally monthly or weekly that he would make go to market decisions. And that really made us think like, wow, this is a much different, different and a bigger conversation than most people think about. You're, it's interesting to me, this notion of people, um, you know, it's almost like once you reach a certain point, you're, you know, a certain revenue threshold, you know, that, that would be different for different businesses and in different industries. But there's a level of almost uh, feels like validation that comes along with that. Like, oh, well, we figured out how to go to market now. We're, we're a $10 million company, we're a $50 million company or what have you. So, you know, that's not something we need to figure out again. And, and, and <laughs> instead uh, you need to yeah, keep and, reiterating. And, yeah. And, and, and Sangram, I guess what you're telling us is that's the actually the thing that you need to keep refiguring out. Yeah. Oh my God. What's interesting about, and the move is, as you guys have read the book, it's an acronym for market operations, velocity, and expansion. Those are the four questions in the book market operations, velocity and expansion. What's interesting about that is what we found in our research, I was so dreading this guys. I was so dreading this. It's like, gosh, I hope I don't give a list of 50 questions to people. I get it. Nobody, you know, would remember and nobody's going, we're not Gartner Forrester, right? We're not running graded research advisory firm. So I want to make it simple for operators to go ask this question. I want to use the language they use. So as we interviewed Brian Halligan, the CEOs, uh, as I said, uh, we interviewed Jeffrey Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasm, one of a really amazing book. Uh, if you have $10, don't buy my book, buy Jeffrey's book, because it's so good. It's really good. It's, it's a classic. He gave a quote for the book, too. Um, and and, and like this so like Nick Meadows, you have Gainsight across industry, SaaS, man, you know, man, across the board. What was interesting in these elements was we started with about, about 50-ish questions, and it came down to these four questions over and over again. And, and what's awesome about it is that these questions remain the same, regardless of your industry, but also regardless of the stage of the business you're in. You could be in any stage of the business right now. You could be a sub $10 million company. You could be a $50 million company. You could be a $100 million company. It doesn't matter. The questions will remain the same, but the answers will be different. And that's what this book really goes into is like, you still have to figure out what your next move is, but the move will depend on the stage of the business you're in. Let's dive in a little bit. Uh, and, and I mean, I have to say, I love the, I, the notion of, uh, 
you know, thinking of this as a product or, you know, instead of just something that, uh, you know, it, it's not a project, it's a, it's a product. This, this goes back to one of our earliest guests on the Cooler Ring, uh, Monique Elliott, who at the time was with ABB, and she looked at marketing initiatives, an e-commerce platform, whatever that marketing tool was going to be, and convinced their management to think of it as a product in the same way that they think of the you know, the, the machines they sell as products. And, right. you know, when, when, when the C-suite thinks of something as a product, they can't help but want to improve upon it. Hmm. Whereas if it's a project, it has a budget line item and then it's done, you know, and, and it's the same kind of thing with this, but, uh, you know, how, how did you, um, kind of come to the realization that these were the four questions that really mattered and uh, and what kinds of answers like let's let's talk about the questions themselves a little bit as well um how they come to life under the the acronym move but uh, yeah let, let's uh let's dive into those and talk about how these kind of came to be as the as the solution for the framework well it it, it, it initially it was dreadful because we did hundreds of interviews honestly the best thing there's so many negative things of COVID uh, that we all know and feel and recognize. But one of the best things that happened was you could pick up the phone and talk to anybody, right? Because the world for, for a moment there just opened up. It doesn't really matter, which is why I literally just like, if I'm going to be in my basement, like doing this stuff, uh, might as well like make the most out of it. So we talked to hundreds and hundreds of senior leadership and CEOs and VCs around it. And, and we talked to like VCs, for example, Kelly Ford, who had 200 plus exits of companies investing over and over again. And, and they created a center of excellence for go-to-market. So we studied their model for VCs, for investing in early stage companies. We studied what uh, Mark Roberge did. He's a Harvard Business School professor. He was a CRO at HubSpot and, and specializes in taking companies from zero to 100. We looked at his model. We looked at several models and that's how the research really. So I'm, what I'm really proud of, guys, more than anything is the research that went into this book. It's not like me sitting and like, oh, let me just think about a new way, a cool acronym that I can put on my shoe. No, it really was very research-based. And these questions after about, I would say, 30 or 40 interviews, me and my co-author, Brian, we were like looking at each other like, are these people just talking to each other behind our back? Because they're all saying the same stuff. But somebody would say, hey, I'm like, what would you, the one of the common questions we asked was, what keeps you up at night? What, what do you think about go-to-market? And they would say stuff like, hey, you know, I wish, uh, I wish we could figure out how do you scale our business. I wish we could figure out how do, how do we get to the next growth level for our business. I wish our um, teams would be more aligned together. So they kept using similar phrases, but they all had a different vocabulary for it. And I think what we and Brian and I have done is that we're not putting in this book something that you'll be like, oh, I've never heard that before. Uh, you know, I think you may have some concepts you may not have heard, but, but for the most part, it's very logical. But I, I hope we have given people the vocabulary around the saying, hey, if you really want to talk about this, just talk about it using the, this context. And it came over and over again to a point that after about 20 or 30 calls, we were like, hey, let me just get it out of the way. Are these the questions that summarizes the way you think about go-to-market? And they were like, Oh, uh, no, no, let me think. No, actually that covers, that question covers, that question covers. So it, it really came down to these four questions and thankfully we're able to, and that's the marketing brain in us, like let's just make it, call it something that people could remember, move. So the questions are like, who should you market to? What should you do to operate your business effectively? 
Uh, when can we scale your business? That's probably the most common questions of all. And the fourth one is where can we grow the most? That is a question I think as you start growing your business and find certain things working, that question becomes more important. But it remains the same no matter what stage of the business you're in. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you know, that can seem so simple as to be elementary. Uh, at the, on the opposite side, of course, is that that's, I think, in some ways what makes it powerful. Mm. Um, you know, as an example, I think one of the uh, challenges I see an awful lot of manufacturers face is on that expansion side is about choosing a priority. Um, yeah. you know, they, they may serve five or six or seven verticals with a wide range of products and, and there can just be paralysis about managing them and keeping them going. And they don't necessarily think about, okay, yeah, but what's the real focus that's going to drive expansion? Where can we, uh, really place our efforts? So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a beauty in the simpleness of the question in some weird way. Yeah. And you know, what, what that reminds me of, this is a conversation with Scott Dorsey, who was the, the CEO of exact target. And we were, he was the one who talked about expansion the E initially, like remember market operations, velocity and expansion, the E initially was experience. And that's what we thought we would do. We talk about experience like creating amazing experiences. We know experiences is is what people are looking for. Like at the end of it, experience is what it's all about. Um, but he pushed us. He said, look, I take that for granted that we need to create amazing experiences. I think we wouldn't have a business if we created shitty experiences. Somebody's going to come and just knock us off and, ch and charge heavy uh, more than, than us just because they create better experiences. Case in point, uh, taxis versus Uber. Like I, I found myself, you know, when I was traveling one day, was standing at a at an airport waiting for uber there was at a point uber used to be fast but now i'm standing at the airport waiting for my uber for about 10 minutes and there's a taxi right in front of me literally taxi right in front of me and like i was like the whole time i'm like why am i waiting for 10 minutes for uber that i don't know what they're going to charge i have no idea you know who i'm going to be with i see the guy right in front of me i see the taxi in front of me i can get home 10 minutes early like literally, I can beat the traffic, but I'm still waiting right there for for uh, for my Uber. And like, why? Because the experience, the idea of taking the credit card out and swiping it and not having the number and don't know why the like it's just like I, I, the experience is so important. So 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 I remember Brian and Scott making the point like, look, without experience, you're not in business. And and in the book, we covered that, especially product and where where, where it lands the go to market framework. But he pushed on this thing. He's like, look, when we hit about 10 plus million in revenue, my number one question became this. Where are we going to grow the most? Are we going to grow locally or globally? Are we going to grow through our sales team with the foot on the, full, uh, um, on the street? Or are we going to have an agency uh, way to grow? Um, are we going to build products right now to support our customers? Are we going to just acquire another company 
and, and figure out what goes there. So these questions are the one that he struggled. He said, hey, look, if I could, then I go back and think about 10, 20, 30, 50 million uh, in revenue. That was the question that kept me up. That was the question I was struggling the most because of course we have to create a kick-ass experience. So the E, I want to give credit where credit is due, was really his pushing to us saying that they cannot be a company growing at the scale they need to grow if they're not thinking innovatively uh, as uh, about the expansion. Uh, an example in our case, and you all know, um, like bringing HubThought back into the, the game here, their 40% of the revenue comes from agency partner program, right? Like that's their business model. Now that wasn't their business model when they started, but they have to figure out an expansion strategy. So when you think about manufacturing, you're a service in many ways industry, right? We, one of the things we talk about in the book is that your go-to-market team is not just marketing or sales, it is marketing sales and customer success to manufacturing, it means customer service, right? So that is so big. That is, as a matter of fact, the most important thing that drives the business. In the book, when you look at the platform market fit, you will see something really interesting. We turn the order of these three uh, business, uh, these three different uh, departments or functions. Instead of saying sales marketing, which is what we had in problem market fit and product market fit, we said, customer success plus sales and marketing. So we reversed the order of it. And that was not a typo, that was on purpose because we realized that customer service becomes the big part of what drives your business further faster. If your customer service is actually taken care of and they know how to take care of customers, how do you build new products, how do you add more services to it, that's what's gonna drive your business forward and not just your sales and marketing. Yeah, I think that there's, there's great truth to that. And you know, within the manufacturing space, we have a, an awful lot of experience in speaking with manufacturers who are not interested necessarily in driving net new um, relationships. They their entire opportunity is within their existing customer base, yeah. and you know, really, they they can grow significantly simply by servicing those existing relationships at, at every level. You know, whether that's through, you know, some kind of outside sales or inside sales or or actual service and uh you know repair type uh you know relationships so th there's there's a ton of opportunity there i and do think they maybe struggle to recognize the the revenue upside potential in the customer service sure. relationships yeah um you know i think a, a, an awful lot of manufacturers would uh, be very uh, quick to to pound their chest and say uh, we provide exceptional customer service, and 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 in many cases that is probably probably true. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've looked at that service function and said through the how, lens of how can we arm it for the upsell yeah. and the expansion, and how can we, um, yeah, make it a more conscious, intentional thing. Yeah, and it's not necessarily at all related in most manufacturers with the marketing and sales function. There mm. isn't kind of a cohesive discussion going on between the CMO and the VP of sales and the head of customer service or success. Yeah, I think that people would, would yeah, people would probably love the, the, the truth around retention is the new acquisition that we have in the book, uh, where uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, uh, I was with, uh, with a bunch of uh, VCs were investing in a company. They were about, about uh, 50 million in revenue and uh, we were doing another valuation for them and the valuation of that business was about um, half a billion so 50 million 
500 million valuation. The CEO was the CEO of that company was really mad, really upset, really like going crazy. He's like, how is it that one of my competitors has 30 million in revenue and their valuation is 1.2 billion? Like, and I am 50 million, we are at 50 million in revenue. You guys are saying that my valuation or the business valuation is 500 million. Like, why? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm going about growth, like, you're growing so well. And it was fascinating. We had to break it to, to him. And, and this goes back to the point that you both are making, especially in the manufacturing business of it. They're like, look, if you were a $30 million business today, we would actually have valued you much higher because the $20 million business that you have today, there's no repeatable business there. They, these use cases don't make any sense. They are ad hoc. The, the work that you do there is not repeatable, not scalable. So you are not tying in more resources in those in servicing those $20 million businesses. Uh, and the, the, the profile that you're going after over there does not match to what your repeatable business is. So if you take just the cohort of these $30 million uh, customers that you have, your valuation will actually likely be higher than your, because you, you, you really think what you got something is really cool. It will be higher than 1.2. But because you have this 20 million business that is not good, not core, not helping you, uh, is drain on you, and you can't fire all these 20 million now. And as a matter of fact, you actually have all these engineers and customer support people working on stuff that they shouldn't be working on. They should actually be working on this, which actually takes you away from getting bigger deals on the core part of it. So we gave all these things in, and at the end of the day, it really occurred to them is like, look, and I would never forget this, where the conversation was, I wish we did not be, I wish we were not that aggressive about acquiring that new customer. And we were more aggressive around keeping the best fit customers. And I think you think about that in a, in a manufacturing world, I'm curious to get both of your perspective on it. I think that's what manufacturing does really well. And if we can, they do better at it. Um, they would be leaps and bounds over other customers because that's not something most of the industry does well at. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. Uh, there, uh, Jeff and I were talking actually in the lead up to this discussion uh, about this a little bit, um, and about the nuances or differences between manufacturing and and uh, and SaaS and that kind of that world. And and one of it is uh, differences often is. Uh, I think switching costs. Um, yeah. There now there can be some significant switching costs with um, a variety of SaaS platforms, no question. But you know there are also examples of, oh, you want to buy our product? We have a you know an import export function to help you import your data from this other CRM and make switching costs almost go away or whatever. Right. Um, that's not as often the case with many manufactured uh, b2b manufacturers yeah. like the 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 glue's a lot stronger so i agree they do a better job of retention but they also have bigger handcuffs um <laughs> yeah so I, I i i think the interesting learning for a manufacturer manufacturing organization here may be what if we acted like we didn't have those handcuffs? Like, what if we, what if we approached it as though 100% of these customers could leave immediately with no switching costs? Would we service them differently then? And would that provide a, a level of fuel uh, to, to, uh, to, to expand those relationships? 
Yeah. You know, what's uh, I was uh, having this conversation probably in the last, last couple of weeks is right now, we're, I mean, we're recording this right now in, a, uh, in October timeframe. And right now, if everybody stops selling the net new business today and actually just focused on your existing business and actually figuring out ways to upsell, cross-sell, you would likely end up having a higher revenue for your business. Let me unpack that a little bit. I mean, at this point in the year, you already should know where you're going to end up as a business. Like if you're in October and don't know where you're going to end up, like, whoa, you do not have a predictable business and you have a whole bunch of problems in your, in your business. It doesn't matter if we're talking manufacturing SaaS yeah. or selling yeah. turnips out of the back of a truck. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if you, in October, if you don't know where you're going to be in December, like, you know, you've got problems. You need go-to-market help, a doctor right away. Uh, you need to contact Ula Partners uh, ASAP. But in general, uh, in general, the, the the other part of the coin, the other side of the coin, is this. This is the part where you you know you you can look at the end of the year. You already know how many companies are you have on the renewal uh, for for your existing business. And if you could actually take your attention, take some of that time back, and put in your existing customers, even figuring out we have something called as a top fifty customer program, right? So every executive on the team has to have personal relationships, cell phone numbers of one of our top 50 customers, period. No matter what, no matter where they are, we have a list of 50 customers, they're top customers for because of the revenue, because of the innovation, there are a bunch of criteria how we came up with that top 50 uh, list. And, and the goal of our executive team is that each one of our executive team have five or seven of these people and then together we have these 50 customers that we need to have personal relationship with that we're talking to them on a regular basis we're texting with them we're we're asking them hey what are your strategic priorities we're not trying to just sell our product to them because they already have it we're like trying to say hey where, where can we help can we connect with another cml who we're talking to can we can we put you on a speaker slot could we help you with a board connection so that we can give you a board member that you might be looking at or advice? Um, in some cases, we have helped come people transfer to another job or a function because so we're guiding them. So we're there to be there, to be present and support. And what we found in that process, folks, and I wish people more companies would do this, is that every time they would say, you have been so grateful and helpful for us, we need to figure out how we work more together. And then we would do, well, let's think about it. Maybe we talk about a three-year renewal as opposed to one-year renewal, right? Like, so that takes care of a lot of issues that you think about renewal stuff. We talk about creating workshops for the team where they now, all the entire team is now certified in certain things that they did not think about before. So jumping into these 50 top 50 customers would change your understanding of what really works for your business and will really open up other opportunities that you're not even thinking. So right now in October, if you're looking at the end of the year, you should know where you're going to end up, but you should actually focus on your top 50 customers now and build those relationships. So as you get to the renewal part, it's not a surprise. You should never lose a customer. Like we will let somebody should be fired if one of your top 50 customers leaves and you have no idea. Like that should be such a no-no. People leave and companies leave and people, the customers, that happens all the time. But if it's on your top 50 list, and if they leave and you had no idea, you just see a dip in your numbers, you got a problem. Like somebody's not doing their job and somebody needs to be fired. 
I find it uh, it's interesting because, of course, you know, in in the in the world of manufacturing, you don't have that kind of world of retention in the yeah. same way. You don't, you don't think, think about, about ARR way. necessarily, right? Yeah. But but you hear an awful lot of marketers. I don't know how many we've had on the show, but it's got to be over a dozen um, who have, uh, you know, top advice basically is get out and talk to customers, <laughs> which. On you the know, face of it, you always kind of almost roll your eyes, like, "Yeah, okay, great. Well, what are we going to do? We just call them up and it's like, well, yeah, actually, you do." But, <laughs> um, but Sangram's no, notion here is uh, uh, there's there's a real, there's a real that. interesting nugget there to say, what if every member of the marketing team had the had text message access to one of our top fifty customers? Yeah. What what or top that, ten depending or, on yeah, what yeah, would that whatever even that mean? looks like yeah um, I think that's uh, of all the kind of thought experiments to end the show on I really like that yeah. <laughs> that's going to leave me thinking for a, a, quite some time about how that could come to life and what that could mean uh, particularly within a manufacturing enterprise yeah Sangram thank you so much for sharing a, a little bit uh, of the book with us today I know that I, I think we got into only one truth of go to market and there's at least six in that chapter so i think we've left lots for our listeners to go and discover for themselves uh but thank you for uh, for sharing your experience and wisdom with us today absolutely and all the proceeds for the book for the first year goes to new story charity which is uh to ending homelessness so uh, anything people do to buy this book and i mean you know 10,000 plus people have done that uh, is really for a great cause that I'm really passionate about. So that's just another thing that I wanted to put it out there for people as they're thinking and considering the book. Well, that's nice. terrific. That's we'll terrific. we'll link it up in the uh, transcript below the episode. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, friends. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.